Hey everyone, welcome to the BSM Stories podcast. We're glad you're back. Um, I'm here, Cody Schaus, with Marcy Martinez again. Hey everybody. And we are uh, today. I don't even know what the date is anymore, Marcy. I quit keeping. I quit keeping count. I just know May sixth. May sixth. Yep. May sixth. So uh, I don't know when you listen to this, but um, today is May sixth. And the article we have today is several weeks old, but it's one that stood out to me, really caught my attention for a couple reasons, and I'm excited to hear your thoughts, Marcy, because it's it's not like any other article we've looked at so far. Um, The title of the article, let me go back to the top, sorry, is um, Leading Beyond the Blizzard, Why Every Organization is Now a Startup. So it's written with this kind of business leadership entrepreneurial mindset, but I think there's a lot of ideas in here that can be attached both personally, individually, and to a faith community, and as followers of Christ, and then to our community of believers. And so that's why I wanted to talk about it. It is not necessarily a popular article. Uh, I will say that written by um, the main guy is kind of a guy, is a guy named Andy Crouch, uh, who is a teaching pastor. And I actually heard him do an interview with this conversation, which was what led me to find the article and share it with you. So we'll just kind of jump in if you're good with that. Um, But we will admit that this, the article is old, like it is two months old, almost now is written kind of the first week of the of America's response um, to all things COVID. And so there is, I think a lot of I mean, if we go back to that time set, time frame, a lot has happened since then. So it makes sense in the March 20th context. And I think uh, we have a lot more answers today. But at the same time, it's just written from a different world, even though it's not that long ago, it feels like a long time ago in some of it. So but what caught my eye was the first sentence, um, Marcy, it says we're not going back to normal. And this is something I've felt from day one. In all of this is that everyone is just waiting for normal to return. And That to me is a very frustrating concept, not just in the COVID uh, culture, COVID response, but just in in general faith terms, the idea of waiting for normal is very frustrating for me. And that's what I liked about it. And so um, he continues on and kind of says there's there's three ways to to look at the, the world and situations like the world is facing. The first is that it's a blizzard, right? So it's this single individual storm. He says, this is the way the majority of Americans are currently responding to the COVID crisis. Uh, We acknowledge that things are difficult to provide emotional and practical support for immediate needs and to urge people to take extraordinary measures that not only would be unthinkable in extraordinary times, but unsuitable for long periods of time. And so in, in a blizzard, it will be over soon, he says. We'll emerge from our shelter. We'll come out. We'll resume life roughly the way it was before. Um, our job in a blizzard is simply to wait it out. And so that's, he says, one single response. He says, but I think a better response is to see this as what he calls a winter, not just a blizzard, but a winter. So not just a storm, but a season, right? Even though winter begins with the blizzard, um, it could end up lasting several months, not a single event. This will not be an, This will not be an event lasting weeks, but Americans should expect Measures to combat the spread of the virus to last through July or August. So just this idea versus a storm versus a season. Um, And I think sometimes we get our mindset on storms, and and that allows us to think, oh, a return to normal is not only going to happen, it's okay. So there is no adjustment or pivot that needs to be made. 
And I think he argues that that's just not okay in this situation, that we, we need to think storm, we need to think a little more long-term and be ready to adjust for the long-term. So that's kind of the intro. Marcy, what are your thoughts, at least on those two points, the, the blizzard winter storm season thoughts? Yeah, I think, uh, I think they make sense. I think they're actually really good thoughts. Um, and I think that we can even see this playing out. You know, it was written March 20th and now what we're in May 6th. So, I, I mean, I think the blizzard, we, we have been in the blizzard. The blizzard was hunker down. No one gets to leave essential business period. You know, you can only leave to go to the grocery store. So there, we have already experienced this. Of course, they didn't know we were going to experience that currently, sure. but but we have, you know, and, but now I think it's more like, okay, let's begin to reopen, but, and then we've seen all these new rules, you know, which are important, you <laughs> yeah. know, only 25% of a place can be populated or, you know, um, I don't know, the list goes on, you know, you need to sit six feet away from each other. You have to sit in family units. You have to do these things. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> what are the odds of that dog? Yeah, I know be, <laughs> you hear my parents' <laughs> dog. Yeah. <laughs> I am at Where'd my parents' house, everybody, so <laughs> in Dallas. So uh, forgive my mom's dog. She's a barker, and uh, yeah, you can hear her. So forgive us. What's what's her name? <laughs> um, Gabby. Gabby's her Gabby. name. Gabby. Ah, Gabby. I always That's forget. That's a perfect name. My parents. Right <laughs> my parents have had two. My mom's had two of the exact same dog that look exactly alike. And <laughs> one Gabby. was one. No, one was Bella, and one was Gabby, and I always forget which one's which. <laughs> Gotcha. <laughs> I always forget to the, which one they have now versus which one All right. passed away well, a few years ago. So that's why I don't Gabby's, remember my parents' dog's name. <laughs> Gabby's just trying to get in the game. I understand. <laughs> She's guarding the front door. So, so anyways, but I do. So I think we're already like seeing this play out. This idea of we've been in a blizzard but we are very much going to be in a season, you know, we all were hopeful. Oh, by Easter, we'll get to move, which, you know, most of us knew that probably still wasn't a reality, but um, as we're seeing it play out, we very much can very clearly see that it is far more a winter or even, you know, as he moves into the next ice age um, content idea too, you know, the question we all kind of keep hanging on is how long is this going to last? And no one knows that answer, but, it's a question I think we all just have to keep asking ourselves. Yeah, and one thing, and we'll see what your thought is on this and how important this is. He says, as with all winter weather, there will be regional variations. Um, and I, there's a wisdom in that, that again, when I think back to this was two months ago that he wrote this, I'm like, man, what a way to say what we're seeing now. Like there are variations of uh, areas, what are they calling them, hot spots, kind of areas that were harder hit. Mm-hmm. There's a deeper impact in those larger, high-populated cities than there are rural brothers and sisters are seeing and having to face. And I think the difficulty is, is we're asking everyone to respond to the season, even though there's the same, even though there's variation in it. And I think that's a difficult, that's a real thing, but I think it's very difficult to live through is same expectation with variable impact. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> He does move on to what he calls a, an ice age, so something that is going to last a couple years. I think he, in the article he talks back into the little ice age was about three to 400 years. Um, he, he says, I don't think COVID will be that long of an impact, obviously. But, Thankfully. Uh, I know. <laughs> but he does say this kind of 12 to 18 months, so beyond a season, right? A season thinking, you know, three to four months um, of a year. And so an ice age being 12 to 18 months, 
and as I think of my own life and how this, this, I don't even want to call it a rhythm, but the expectations of humanity and of community uh, have changed. I think about what this will do in my own life over the next 12 to 18 months, which I think that threshold, I would imagine, comes from the expectation of a vaccine, Mm-hmm. That somehow in that window of time, they think there could be a vaccine. It's weird, too, because I talk to doctor friends, like people who do research and, and pharmaceutical stuff. And, and they're like, 12 to 18 months is if everything goes perfect. Like, that means there is zero flaw in the testing. Mm-hmm. And so even that window seems pretty quick to to people who are in that world. So, so Lord willing, yeah, there'll be a great grace in that 12 to 18-month window. But... Um, but then he, yeah, he jumps into this idea that it could go beyond. And I think about my own life, what will it look like over the next 12 to 18 months with these high limitations? And it made me think back to what we talked about last week with this idea of just dealing with personal trauma and grief. And a couple of weeks ago, we talked about lament and what does that look like? And, and maybe there will be a, a, an increase of understanding of these things in our own lives. What do you think as you think about this becoming beyond a season in your own life or in the lives of your community? What do you, what do you feel and think, Marcy? To be honest, this section of the article was pretty anxiety producing and in my opinion, a bit dramatic. Uh, could be true, but yeah. it was also uh, very too intense for my uh, taste buds, I would say. Um, but I do, I, I, I kind of like the idea of kind of comparing it to, you know, the Great War or, or mm. some other element. You know, I mean, you, you don't go through the, a whole popu- a whole world doesn't go through something like this and, and not be affected and not being changed, you know. And so there's got to be a reality that we will all see the world very differently, you know, after we get to emerge from, from our homes whenever, whenever that is, you know, if that's, if that's in four months, you know, or if that's in 10 months. And I think honestly, the longer we're in this state, the longer the recovery or the, the more our perspective will be changed, right? You go on a trip for three days, you have a changed perspective. You go on a trip for three years, you, (laughs) you know, uh, your perspective is so much like more deeply ingrained. Even if the perspective change is different, the three year trip will last, that perspective is going to last the rest of your life, you know? And so, and I think we can see that when we think back to our grandparents and the way that they functioned based off, you know, off of the experience they had when they were children between either the great depression or the wars, you know? And so, um, so it makes complete sense to me that, um, that this, that realistically based off of waiting until a real vaccine, that our life is just going to have to look different. That, that scares me. I don't like that. And, I don't want to fully accept that idea, but I think it's true. Mm-hmm. And then along with that, the question is, I mean, the reality is I'm going to have to see the world differently. How, how do you not see, I mean, we already see the world differently after two months of being in our house, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I agree with it, even though I didn't necessarily like love the way it was written. I would yeah. say so. Yeah, and I, I very much understand and see the same thing. And again, we'll share the article um, on the on the page link, and so you can go see the article if you want. Um, if you want to experience the same anxiety we did when we read it, um, not really, but uh, 
there is, what about this idea? I mean, again, he wrote it back in March, and here we are almost two months, six weeks post the publication of the article, and we feel like it was a little reactionary, at least in some metrics he shared. How, how much of that is, I don't know, th- this, this pivot that we're in the middle of, even though we're not sure what the end of it will be, but this social pivot how much of it do you think we've just integrated some of this pivot into our daily life, um, as opposed to six weeks ago we had no we had no idea even which way we were going to pivot, much less how how far we'd have to pivot. Yeah, I think probably quite a bit. Realistically, you know, when you start something, very brave people guess what it's going to look like. Mm. You know, and it's very easy to look back and say, no, you were wrong. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, they were the first ones trying to guess what it was going to be. Now we have a more clear perspective on um, the way life is with COVID. Um, and uh, as you said, just kind of the integration uh, thing, life is not, it's not as scary as it was two months ago. It still is scary, and it has been tragic, as it mentions. I mean, we all probably have known, we all know somebody now who has passed during this season. Mm. And so, um, but I guess I guess when you're going, when you're foreseeing something, it is scary. And when you're going through it, for some reason, maybe it's just more like we have to get through it. Yeah. As opposed to uh, the fear involved with it. Yeah. So. How about, what, um, go ahead, what? Well, I was going to ask you what you thought about that question, the integration. Integration is a weird thing to me. There's part of integration that is planned and you psych yourself up for it and you can strategize for it, like having kids, right? Like that is a, an, an integration to life that you plan for and prepare for and think about. Um, either, you know, some people call it the nesting stage where you get a nursery ready. And, but even there's an emotional side to it where preparing to be a parent, if it's for the first time, second time, third time, tenth time, however many kids you have, like it's, there's still an, an, there's still an on-ramp to it that, that you can kind of prepare for, and you've seen other people do it. So, so you kind of have your goal somewhere out there in the spectrum of, of whatever success and accomplishment is. So I think there's integration that, uh, that comes with preparedness. And then there's other integration that doesn't come with preparedness, that it just, it hits you and... You, who you are is all you have, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so whoever you've made yourself to be and shaped yourself and formed yourself and what values you've established in your life, be them verbal or nonverbal, like just whatever you value is what's, it's, it's what's, what's going to come out and it's all you have. And I think this is obviously one of the, the seasons where we're being forced to integrate. And so we're finding out what the real values of people are. And, and I think that scares me because, one, it means we have to be a lot. It is forcing things like grace and forgiveness to be the first step and the second step and the third. Like, it's, it's the front end of every conversation is grace and forgiveness because I'm learning that there are people that have completely di- – people I love that have completely different understandings of what the world needs to be right now. And, and that frustrates me, but at the same time, it helps me understand even my own faith a little bit more of, oh, maybe I haven't prioritized grace and forgiveness the way I should have. 
uh, for my neighbor, and maybe I've been quick to judge and not quick to forgive and welcome and embrace and love. And so, so I, uh, the problem, the difficulty of integration is we don't always get to prepare for it. It's forced mm-hmm. integration. And, and when that's the case, who we are really comes out. And what we worship really comes out. And who we care most about really comes out. And, our, and the, the, as a follower of Christ, I find that the, the biblical teaching begins to collide with what I really value. And I can see where they e- either overlap and become the same thing, or they are parallels. And they are heading in the same direction, but they never overlap. So I have these values that contradict Scripture but sometimes, sometimes are more prevalent in my own life. And integration forces me to realize that sometimes. And I think that's what I'm seeing in my own life is, man, grace has not been as prevalent in my life as I either wanted it to be or thought it to be. Um, and I'm having to be graceful to people uh, that I thought I loved. You know, like these are people I, I really looked up to, and here I am being angry at them because of a difference of opinion or difference of vision. And I have to be graceful and I have to be forgiving and, and love them in spite of what I think they're doing to not be a common good um, or loving their neighbor or stuff like that. So, yeah. Yeah. Which, again, and that answer, pretty judgmental. I know that like, that's the hard yeah. part is <laughs> for me to even say, I disagree with you and I'm going to forgive you like that. No, I need to forgive myself. Mm-hmm. Like there's, there's judgment in that that answer in and of itself. So evidence yeah. that I need grace to abound in my own life. Uh-huh. So. Which I really like the next section, the transition in the article where he says, our greatest resource is trust. And I know we're going to talk about it, but there's a quote from here that I really think connects with that. He says, trust is the greatest resource in human society. Mm. Without trust, we relate as competitors and in a mindset of mindset set of scarcity with trust. We discover creative pathways that unlock abundance. We could never have found on our own. Um, all worthwhile human work and life takes place under an umbrella of trust. Um, and, and I think that goes along with it. You know, uh, maybe I disagree with my neighbor or maybe I disagree with this person as you're talking about, but I do trust them and I do care about them. Yep. So I do want to work out whatever is in me <laughs> um, that is causing me to be frustrated with yeah. them or, you know, even your spouse, like we are all spending significantly more time with our spouses, mm. which is a gift from God. And we deeply trust them, but you know, I mean, we're seeing more, and it's bringing out in, internal stuff in us that we each need to be working on, yeah. which thankfully that's, that's why God gave us, you know, a spouse for that, uh, for that refinement, I guess. But I, I think that goes along with that, this idea of trust and we can transition it more back into like a, a, a group or work environment. But I do, I think it, I think the element of trust is very found, foundational and fundamental I yeah. like that he adds it. Yeah. Yeah, and no, my hope is we understand these principles as individuals and a community of faith, and I think it's, yeah, I think that's key in that. Yeah, that, and, and he, he dips into trust, and even eventually comes back to the biblical understanding of trust, which he calls covenant, and how God continually reveals his trustworthiness or his holiness, um, his honesty through covenant, um, and his love for us in covenant, so... What, what do you think, um, just in your own life, as you look at the next 
several months. Um, what are some of those adjustments you foresee that you've either already made and they're going to stick around or that you're just going to have in your own life? And again, I think we're at the front end of the, st- of the season. I don't think we're at near the back end of it. So I think there's still a lot to learn. And we may even, may even come back in several months and be like, whoop, missed that one. But um, as things are on May 6th, uh, what are some things in your life that you think adjustments you'll make to get through the season? Well, I think my perspective is a little bit unique. I mean, we all have unique perspectives. Sure. I have a 20-month-old, you know, and so I'm so thankful for this time with her, actually. But I, I think one thing that we've talked about in other podcasts is just the healthiness of a routine. Like, that has been, like, a, a just a huge adjustment. It's not really even new, but, like, Obviously, we all had to create a new routine (laughs) when we went from leaving the house to staying. But I think that's been very healthy uh, for us during the time. And even I continue to tweak the routine and and have even being able to function in a lifelong goal of like daily house cleaning like Mm. that has been. You know, like I mop on uh, today's Wednesday, I will mop sweep and mop today. Fridays, I dust. Uh, Sundays I vacuum, Mondays Mm. I do the restrooms, you know, so like my house is clean all the time. It takes 30 minutes max each day. That has made sense to me for years, but I've never been able to integrate that in. Mm. Now I am, I have the space and time to do that and it feels so good, you know, Um, and my house is clean and it's not stressful and it's just part of my routine I've added in. And, And my hope is to really pay attention to what are life goals that I've wanted um, that I haven't had the space and time to create the habit for and and to be able to do that? You know, another one is trying to write birthday cards. You know, I've Mm -hmm. wanted to do that for years and and I'm trying to get better at that. So those are some, some basic things before all of this started. I was trying to pay attention to the food I consumed. Um, I've had more time to do that. I mean, this sounds like all like a self-help. That's not really, what I'm going for at all, but it, it, I, it has been nice to yeah. see this as an opportunity to, uh, to have time to, to pay attention to habits that I really do want that whenever I'm running around so crazy, I just have a hard time, you know, yep. um, with, and so, um, so th- those are important things, but then also, I mean, which this, again, it's just biblical, but like being a good neighbor, you know, th- this time has created an opportunity for me to get to become friends with my neighbor, Dan, mm. who uh, who I, I wasn't before because we didn't necessarily have a need <laughs> to be friends, yeah. you know. But when I said, let me go buy your groceries from now on, you know, that there is a need and there's a space and I get to serve and care for him and and I want to and I should. And so I think that those are a few things that I, I think I've mentioned on the pad, podcast already before, but those are those are pretty normal parts of my life now that um, I struggled with probably mm. before the pandemic. What about you? Yeah, this is a question I wrestle with. There's, I, I'm, I'm really struggling with this. Like, what am I doing different that I enjoy and I want to keep, right? And off the cuff, I say there's nothing. I'm very much, um, very much ready for all things to have a, and 
I don't want to say normalcy, but at least I feel like, I feel like I have very little control over a lot of things in my life. And a lot of that is just I have three kids at home trying to finish up schooling at home. And we're trying to be really faithful to that. And I think that has become kind of front end of our household and our family. And that is both Stephanie and I realize we are not elementary school teachers. We are not wired to be elementary school teachers. We're not nothing. So I think once that gets, once the school year ends, I think we'll get to make some adjustments that do excite us, that we're, we're glad to jump into. Um, but right now, we're very, we, once we wake up, we are on and once we, and we're on until we go to bed, um, and we don't have a, we don't have very much time to just personally decompress, and so we've even had to rethink a lot of date nights. The other day, I had to run to CVS to get some, some medicine, and then while I was there, they had little sales on little, the little individual Bluebell ice creams, and so <laughs> after the kids went to bed, I said, hey, Steph, come to the table, sit down, and I just pulled out the ice cream, and we had a little date night while we were there. And so, um, so even rethinking how we spend time together, uh, in the midst of each leading the ministry and then also each being teacher and taking care of kids, just, yeah, a lot of time that we used to have some freedom in, we don't have now. And, and that's been hard for us. And so, um, but I will say we, we, like you, we've connected with a couple neighbors in new ways. We've, we've always been, we've always known our neighbors and been close and friendly and done all we can for them, but we've been, been able to take that even deeper um, to where when this is over, we've all kind of agreed we're just going to have dinner in each other's homes. And so um, that once once we feel comfortable having people in our homes, we all want to have dinner together. And that's a, that's a new thing for us. So, uh, so yeah, but I, I definitely lean the other way that I'm ready for a few things to end, um, some expectations to end. Uh, or at least a break from them. And school, I think, is the main one for us, our kids' schooling. So my next question would be that for you. What are some things that, not that you want to go back to normal, but some of the adjustments you've had to make that you are ready to be relieved from? Because I do think if we look at articles like this, we think we have to change everything. Um, But I think there is a reality that we'll get to come back. Uh, Some things will return in a, it'll have a different face on it, but it'll be the same thing. So... What are some things you're ready to, some of the adjustments you've had to make that you're ready to end? Well, I think the thing I miss most, which I I would think a lot of people are going to say is just, you know, part of our, a lot of our job is checking on students Mm -hmm. and caring for them. And I love to do that. And I actually really enjoy talking on the phone. I spend a lot of time talking (laughs) on the phone normally uh, in our schedule because we commute so long, but, um, during this time, it's just between Zoom calls and phone calls all day. You know, it's, there's a different level of fatigue. Um, and so I, I am, it, it, you know, I can meet with a, a student after student after student for five or six hours and uh, at the end of it feel tired but feel energized. Um, and when I'm on the phone for five or six hours here, you know, trying to do that, I just feel done. Like I just feel twice as fatigued, you know? And so I think the main thing I just miss is, and it's not even like so much going out and hanging out with friends or, you know, all of the, I don't miss hugging strangers or, you know, that part that other people say they do, but I do miss just the sitting down one-on-one with a student and saying, tell me about your life. How are you? You know, I think that that is one part of 
what we get to do that is just my favorite part, and I very much miss that. And, and I can do some of that here, but I, do, I can't I carry the same capacity that I could uh, whenever we were able to see uh, see each other face to face. And mm. so, so that that's the I think the main thing I will I, I'm excited to uh, pick back up, add back in. Um, yeah. and, uh, so I guess some of the phone calls at my, from my house, and, cause that, that was a thing like trying to have work-life balance. I tried really hard to not do phone calls at my house. Mm-hmm. I would do them in the car or I would do them at work, but I tried not to do them at my house. And so that's a, a blending I've, that's been needed and I'm thankful for, but I don't want to continue that. Yeah. yeah. What about you? Yeah. I, I think mine's along the same lines. I call it the incarnate. Like I just... As much as conversation can carry a lot, the the participating in someone's life through dialogue, it can carry a lot and has a lot of impact on people. But the incarnate, face-to-face, yes, give them a hug, but also just be present with them, right? Like there's just something about being present with each other that is life-giving and goal-achieving. Like there's just there's a an effectiveness to it in the good that... Um, that so much of me misses. And so I'm ready I'm ready to have that back, the incarnate side of life, being able to be present with people and not being forced into this acarnate. I can do life in this way, but it's still without presence. And so I'm ready, yeah, I'm ready for that to be over and ready to go back to whatever face that takes. I don't think it'll take the same face we've always had. I think it'll look different, but I'm very much okay. Whatever face that takes, I'm excited to have it back, so... Yeah, so, yeah, I agree. <laughs> so, well, good. This is a good article. We'll share it. We'll post it. Um, Marcy, you got any other closing thoughts or last thoughts? Um, I did like, um, I, I liked his section on grief and loss, vision and hope, which you, you did hit, but mm-hmm. I really do. I think that there's some really good empathy in, in the toward the end of this article. And I also really like the charge uh, that he gives leaders to react swiftly, uh, pivot to survive, and reimagine our organizations. I I think that he has some really good, uh, helpful things for leading organizations, specifically uh, organizations that, um, well, all organizations where he talks about the necessity to to cut the cost. You know, Mm -hmm. I think that that really is a very important thing that we all need to be doing right now as we don't know the future you know we need to be wise as we move forward so um yeah so i I do recommend you going and reading this article Uh, i would say power through the top half and uh (laughs) you know uh spend some time in the bottom half because i think the bottom half is is some really helpful places nice yeah great well i appreciate it thanks for your time marcy and uh, we'll have an interview with another student, and I uh, hope it's encouraging to you. And by uh, I, I, someone told me the other day, you say encouraging way too much, Cody. And uh, I, I want to justify cool. this real quick. I, I view encouragement as a chance to put courage in somebody. Like I say it encourages you because I want it to bring courage to your life in a way that helps you push through your own life, your own hurdles, your own um, whatever you're going through um, that I hope – whoever you hear from, I hope it puts some courage in you to take your next step or breathe your next breath, whatever that is. And so, so I hope the next story is encouraging to you. We love you guys. We're proud of you and excited to see you face to face again soon. Y'all have a great day. Bye guys. 
All right, today our story is from Zach Guerrero. Uh, Zach, tell us a little about tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, what you're studying, where you're from, family, all the important things um, that we need to know up front. Hey, y'all. This is Zach. I go to UT, and I also study English, and I'm getting my teacher certificate currently. Uh, let's see. I grew up in Seguin, Texas, which is a very small town, kind of uh, near San Antonio. It's a uh, kind of like like this highway town where mascot is kind of like a pecan world's largest pecan. That's what we're known for. But you know, that's how it goes. Tell us about your family. What does a family look like for you growing up? So family has looked like, um, just me, my mom and my dad, and also my sister, who's about eight years older than I am. Uh, currently she's living in uh, Seattle. Uh, she kind of like moved out of the house a little while ago. Uh, she also went to UT. Uh, my mom, uh, she works at a bank. She's a manager at a bank in San Antonio. And uh, my dad is a framer, so he builds houses. So um, with all this fam- family dynamic, that's uh, where it came from for a little while. But my parents didn't get married until like I was around seven. So this was like, uh, it was just me, my mom, my sister for a little while. Then my dad, uh, my dad came and uh, we all lived in the same house for a little while until my sister moved out. And uh, now it's just us. So was your dad around before they got married or was he in and out? What'd that look like? Right. So my dad was never married to my mom, but they were dating for a little while, but then they broke up when they had me. So it was just like, I was visiting my dad every other weekend, that sort of thing. And I was just like coming, uh, coming back and forth between my mom and dad's house. So I was seeing them every, every, um, so often, you know, all right, cool, fun. Um, well, what did in that dynamic of, going back and forth to mom and dad's and then actually seeing mom and dad get married. What did spirituality look like? And that was it, was it Christianity centric? Was there another religion that was in the middle of it? Was there no religion or was there some like spiritual practices, but nothing faithful? What was kind of the core of, of spirituality in your house in your childhood growing up? So there was like some spiritual practices that were involved, especially when my dad married my mom, uh, because like, uh, my dad wanted to really bring uh, Christianity into the family of just he, um, well, before he married my mom, he converted to Christianity and was uh, telling my mom, was like, hey, like, I really want to do this. I really want to build a family, like, um, on a foundation of God. And, like, this is how we're going to do it. And she was all for it. What so, prompted that? What Was that a new thing for him that revolved around the wedding? Or um, what was the prompt for your dad? Right. So he met, um, he met a friend that introduced him to Christianity that told him the gospel and uh, he started taking him to church and a town nearby. And that's where he really started to like build in his faith for a little while. He talked uh, to my grandpa who, um, who is also a Christian and they like were, um, so his father was basically discipling him for a little while. And that's how it was like building up, building up, building up. And that's where he was like, okay, like now that I, like feel like I have this faith now I can get married to, to uh, my mom. That's really cool. Or like not his mom. <laughs> That's mom. really cool. Okay, so your parents got married. Dad kind of went through revival, came to faith, yes. brought faith to the family, brought marriage and covenant into the family, and then so introduced you to Christian practices and and I would assume the gospel in there somewhere. So what was the turning point for you? What was that? that pivotal catalytic moment where you said uh, for the first time 
all right, this Jesus thing, this Christianity thing is something I want to surrender to. What was that? What was that moment for you? Mm. So I was about 16 when this happened because uh, when my parents got married, when I was seven, we kind of fell off of the practices and kind of like, uh, so like when he came to like marry my mom, it kind of, we all fell off of that. We stopped like going to church. We stopped praying at the dinner table. We just stopped uh, like reading the Bible together for a very, very long time. But the moment where I said I wanted uh, Jesus to be my savior was like when I was around 16, I was in youth group. Um, I think I was a freshman in high school, I believe, where it was it was kind of like the turning point that I wanted to make. I guess Jesus was like really calling me just to follow him in that sense. Well, honestly, it was like kind of, it was strange because like I didn't like know what was going on when I was like 16 because I thought it was just something like, oh, my friends are doing it. So maybe I should do it. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And this like me following Jesus was just more along the lines of me being a follower of like the people who were like were inspiring me to uh, follow Jesus. Like I didn't entirely understand the gospel until like very much later on until uh until college what do you mean by that what do you mean you didn't entirely understand the gospel shall we maybe even say this is what i thought at 16 and then you said early on in college where you more fully understood it what was the difference of the two times for you i think the difference was um when i was 16 i thought all you have to do was just be good and that's how you would uh, get salvation and that's how you would get the love of christ from you. you just be good you be a good person you know that's like what my uh what my parents taught me like while growing up that was the value as long as i was good and obedient this was like uh like you're fine mm. and i thought that translated into religion as well and it just kind of like if i am good then this um then good things will happen you know so would you say that was more work centric or yeah, I mean, so you're saying I earned God's love, I earned God's favor, I earned God's blessing by what I did, God would respond. Is that, I mean, I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, that's a question. Is that what you kind of felt like in that time that time of your life? Oh, yeah, exactly. Okay. So okay. it was just like trying to earn grades, trying to go on um, short mission trips, trying to do the best as I can in the Bible study and responding and trying to in a very like knowledgeable way when I was in high school. And like, even I wouldn't even know what I was talking about sometimes. Yeah. I've always called that behavior modification that I'm going to behave like a community so that I can get the reward of the community, whatever that exactly. is. If it's, if I get some kind of promise or some kind of welcome or, or crediting or some kind of, maybe it is some kind of leadership role or responsibility um, or maybe it's some type of, of resource that I get access to because I have these certain behaviors. So it's this behavior modification in, in to fall in line with the community. And, and there are a lot of churches that press into that and, and maybe even teach that um, as the gospel. But you said in college, early on in college, you heard something else. You may, was it a different gospel? Was it a more clear gospel? What did you hear in college hmm. that was kind of... That sounds to be pretty catalytic for you. It was a very clear gospel of <laughs> what I was taught. It was just like this rushing wind of just teaching of like what this new gospel was because I was very focused on work, but now this is like very grace oriented of like, I don't have to work to earn grace. Mm -hmm. I don't have, I just have to 
accept and believe. And then I follow Jesus in that sense of having a good relationship with him. I was never really taught that or that was never really understood fully because I thought, um, because my relationship with God before was very superficial. It was more just like, let me pray to God sometimes and maybe he'll do something, maybe not. And like, maybe he'll listen, maybe not. But then like when grace was involved, I know he was listening and I knew he was gonna like answer one day, you know, and he was gonna give me the grace and love that I was needing and wanting for a very long time. So what was happening in your heart and your mind in this time of of coming to college and hearing a gospel that says, I've already done this for you without any of your works, as opposed to because of your works, I've done this for you, right? That's two completely different messages. And mm-hmm. I'd argue that's two completely different gods. Um, to some degree, the, the God you heard in high school is not the God of the Bible. That is not Jesus. That's not his message. That's not his story. And so I, I would... That's something we could unpack in a different conversation, but as many times as I've had this conversation in talking to college students over 20 years, over and over and over, I just hear that, that idea that, well, if I do these right things, Jesus will be on my side. And Hmm. that's just not who Jesus said he was. And he actually says the opposite, which is what you heard later. And so when you heard that, here's what I always grew up with. And then I heard something that's the exact opposite of that. What was going on in your heart and mind in that time? Because I would imagine that's multiple conversations, mul- multiple weeks, maybe even multiple months of, of, of a transforming of your understanding. So what's going on in your heart and mind in that time? I think what led to that moment was a very, um, I was like falling to the pit of just kind of like this hopelessness of just kind of like depression, anxiety. And like during that time, I was looking for a hope because I thought without that life is hopeless. And so I turned to like the one thing that I knew, which was the Christianity that was taught. And, but you know, that was like work involved or at least in my, um, in my mind, that was how that worked. Mm. But I wanted to, but I felt like there's something more to it and I just kind of felt like my heart breaking a lot, a lot for that. And I was just um, really striving to get to know God more in that sense, because like I was like just really confused on like who God was and who he actually was. Cause I feel like I just had a wrong idea of him for such a long time because I held my idols like in high school, middle school, like tight, like very grasping them and I wouldn't let go. And as much as like somebody would tell me the gospel during that time, like I would not listen, I would not understand fully because I wasn't like letting go of my idols or my other gods that I was like trying to follow instead. Mm. And so what was going on when I was hearing the grace oriented gospel, I was just trying to learn who the character of God was. Mm. And I learned that he was a loving God. And I learned that he was a God that wanted to, that did his work to die for me rather than me doing the work to fix my own sin. Yeah. Because like in the context of that, I didn't know the, what said like the quote unquote, like Christianese, like, you know, uh, like in Ephesians six, like the armor of God, it was like salvation, grace, like um, the shoes of readiness, the helmet of salvation, like breastplate of 
uh, righteousness, faithfulness. I didn't know what those words meant. Mm. Like I knew the verses, but it's just like, if you asked me for the definition of those verses, I wouldn't have been able to tell you Mm. because I didn't know how Jesus played into that. And I didn't know how that fit into my life. Yeah. So two or three years ago, you find this grace centric gospel, one that says we work because of Jesus's love for us displayed on a cross, um, uh, displayed on a cross, guaranteed in a resurrection, because he did that on our behalf, we reshape our lives. Mm-hmm. Instead of we reshape our lives so that the cross does work for us, right? And so this grace-centric gospel. But we know that learning grace doesn't make everything, you know, roses. Life still goes on. Life is still hard. Um, and it doesn't necessarily make things easier Hope is not the, the to say I have a new hope in Jesus, like you said a second ago, doesn't necessarily bring the yellow brick road, right? It's mm-hmm. not it's not a challenge free life. So so over the last few years, you found this grace centric. Um, the nature and character of God is surrounded by uh, the love of God, that God is love. And so what have been some of the challenges since that time? What are some of the most significant obstacles, hurdles, challenges, however you phrase that in your life, over the last couple a couple years of choosing to follow Jesus in grace? Okay, so one of the one of those challenges was to let go of my idols from high school because starting out, I didn't even know I had those. I didn't even know I was like gripping uh, onto them tightly. So one of them was... Um, my same-sex attraction and for that was just kind of like really really like this snowball like down a hill because I didn't know like how much I was involved in that idol and how much like I was involved in the sin of it Mm. and but looking at the gospel of grace and like looking at what Jesus did I was very like heartbroken of what I am doing <laughs> because like I uh, like I do believe that marriage should be between men and a woman and that is um and that's what the Bible believes also. But this is just kind of there's like this clashing idea that I was like having in my mind of like how can I be a same sex attract uh same sex attracted while also being a Christian. Mm. And because I didn't know what that was gonna look like. And so for a while I was really like looking for answers like, from yeah. God, just himself. And it just felt like I was really lamenting for a very long time in the storm of trying to f- figure out of, like how this is going to work and mm-hmm. like, how am I going to, or how am I going to fit into God's gospel? And I was like almost moving into the work related gospels. Like how, what, like I was asking God, like, what do I need to do? in order to get over this sin? What do I need to do to get, to just let go of this idol? And, but God is just saying like, just, just accept my grace. <laughs> and wow. I wasn't following that quite, quite honestly. Like Why not? The, the lamenting part. I mean, two questions is I wasn't following that. First is how were you not following that? And then my second would be, how, mm. why were you not following that? Mm. So how I was not following that was, um, I was really trying to strive harder just to like push it down and do as much as I could by just saying yes, 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 yes. And by learning about learning about God, reading the Bible more, praying more, joining this, joining that, and just like 
building the community within um <laughs> i was building like a good i was just trying to immerse myself into the christian community as much as i could and i thought that would help me with my same-sex attracted okay same-sex attractive nature all right yep. and then, <laughs> then yeah <laughs> whatever and then why like why why what were where was the difficulty for you which again i very much believe there's difficulty so where was it? Why why was it hard to follow the grace of Jesus in this idol? Mm. Uh, it's because I wanted to grip onto it so tightly, even though like Jesus like wanted wants me to let go of it. I was so used to it, so comforted by it. Mm. I just didn't want to change. I didn't want to go into like the into God's grace because I was so comfortable being in like just this one place for years and years and years. And I didn't know what life was going to be like outside of it. I didn't know if people were going to judge me. I didn't know if people were going to, were going to hate me for it. I didn't know like um, how those two could mix because I didn't see, like I didn't see Jesus as being part of my life. I saw as like, here's my sin. Here's the line, but Jesus is over there and I'm over here. And like, I don't know how I can get over there because I just crave this so much mm. and I want to desire this so much, but I can't have it according to Jesus. So it's just kind of like, I felt like I was being denied love in that instance. Yeah. And because I felt like, oh, I can't have love like everybody else. So this is like my side of the field and that's Jesus' side of the field. And that's why I didn't want to crossover do you think that was a self-denial like i'm going to deny myself that love or do you feel like there was a community or a wall of some kind between you and the love of christ so was it self mm -hmm. self uh uh induced uh, refusal of love or was there a group of people or some barrier in there where you felt that was between you and that love mm. it was a bit of both okay so yeah, the people that I let know that I was same-sex attracted, they would tell me, oh, you don't have enough faith. That is why you're not straight. And, and if you had enough faith, you would be over this by now. And I'm like, okay, I guess I don't have enough faith or I'm just not saved or like Jesus doesn't like love me as well as he should. And this is like why I kept myself back hmm. from that. And it was also just like the self-denial of like, oh, I'm not worthy to be over there because I have this inside of me and I don't know how to get rid of it. And I don't think anybody else can. Wow. So I'm just going to leave this to myself and let it simmer. Wow. Yeah. And man, there's so much in everything you just said. And I feel bad just a asking these kind of softball questions because there's some there's some hard ones in there that I'd love to dig into, but we would need a couple hours. Um, <laughs> let's let's do that. Let me go here first. In in that kind of as you take a step back, actually, mm. where did you kind of feel? When, when was kind of early onset of same sex attraction? When was kind of the first time you noticed that in your life? Um, so we can kind of timestamp that in in the sake of the the gospel revelation in your life as well so where did that first kind of become aware of it uh i was 12 12 so, okay well right right at the beginning of adolescence so <laughs> yeah sure very which it, is which is most of the time people begin to understand their sexual attraction so yeah and then so then a few years later you 
jumped into a work-centric gospel, and I would imagine, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I would imagine XYZ Church in in the Seguin area is just going to blatantly cover statement, Jesus is against homosexuality, not willing to unpack nuances. Again, correct me if I'm wrong, I hope I am, but not willing to unpack the nuances of sexual attraction and what is sin and what is not sin. And so did you compress that in your life and just kind of sit on it and continue on in the works? Or was there a different tension in your life in that time? So I just sat on it because I think I was never taught about it, about same-sex attraction and how that related to Jesus. And usually like when churches would go over the scripture of that, they would just kind of like gloss over it. It was like, oh, and homosexuality and yada, yada, yada. And now we're going to continue on the sermon. Yeah. But it's just not a topic that's very spoken about Mm. at all and it's like not everybody's going to discuss it because it's very controversial and especially with the church and people have like this kind of mindset where it's like homosexuality is a sin and thus if you have it then you are committing sin or if you're even attracted to that then you're doing something wrong right but or at least where i grew up okay so was the so the blanket unwilling to unpack the nuances that's a pretty pretty close accurate uh, understanding of the church you grew up in or the church atmosphere you grew up in. Right. The nuances were never covered. All right. It was just that camp or camp A or camp B, no middle ground. Right. Yeah. And I, I think this is actually a, a new path growing in, in the modern church, in the 21st century church, that that has actually been created because these poles have continued to separate of camps, that there are the... It's really the grace and truth camps where grace abounds, God loves all people no matter what, come to Jesus, he loves you as you are, and which I understand the heart behind that, right? We want grace to abound. Paul actually says grace abounds in Romans 6, um, but he actually says, should we continue in sin so that we can continue to say grace abounds? Of course not. Um, but then the other camp is the truth where it's just God is not okay with homosexuality. And, and, and then the period gets put there, and it never gets brought back up. And, and those two camps have continued to separate and separate, and not just empty land between them, but a canyon is between them. And I, I still, every time I read Jesus, <laughs> I am convinced that it is both truth and grace. Uh, it is never one or the other. It is always both and. Um, and so, so I, and, and this is what I think is happening in the modern church where there is this third middle camp that is truth and grace that yes, we, we adhere to what the Bible historically has called marriage between a single man and a single woman. But at the same time, we admit that there's nuances in the world that, that sin and brokenness of all humanity, that all sin is a nuance of something. And so, I would argue it's a it's a nuance of fear or control, right? But but all sin is a nuance of something, including sexual sin, and so and so we have to bring truth and grace into it, and so so I, I just think it's it's not as clear as one camp or the other. I think it's both and, and I th- I think man, I just think of our brothers and sisters that twenty years ago just got lamb blasted. And here's just quick confession. I was probably one of the ones lamb blasting. And so 
Mm. Even in my own life, this is something I feel like I've grown in. Um, and so to the point of I adhere to the biblical definition of marriage and, <laughs> not but, and adhere to the grace of Jesus, that it's it's both truth and grace. And I want to walk with, with people along the road of truth and grace. Um, and so I get excited when I hear young brothers and young sisters like you saying, hey, I, I am same-sex attracted. I am SSA, and I love Jesus so much I'm willing to lay that down. Because here's a reality. I think every heterosexual person should lay down their sexual identity as well, <laughs> right? Yeah. This isn't just a call to our brothers and sisters that, that aren't heterosexually attracted. We are all called to lay that down to follow Jesus. And, mm-hmm. and, and Paul talks about it. He goes, for some, he'll, call, he'll give you the gift of singleness, right? Singleness, this is the same call. And so, anyways, yeah, there's so many nuances in what you said. I'm grateful that you're willing to say this is a hurdle and an obstacle for me. There's one, the self-tension of it's an idol, something I worshipped. But then there's this tension of, of I, I don't know how to say it. Um, there's a tension that says, can I find people that are willing to walk with me in tra- truth and grace and not just leave me to myself and which will abandon me from God, but also not beat me up so bad that my soul is bruised. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes I, sense. I'm just, I, that was totally off a cuff, off the cuff. So I don't know <laughs> it may not, if that makes no sense to you. You're not the first person I've confused. So, uh, but no, I'm, that makes sense. That's I'm, like going into like the cost of it. Yeah. And what I had to learn was that the cost is equal for everybody. Yep. And that was like very shocking to me because I thought as like an SSA, I would have to give up a greater cost than somebody else. Mm. But that was pride, like pure pride. Yeah. But it's just like there are consequences that I have I do have to give up like differently than others, but like the sin itself and the idol itself, it's still the same cost that I do have to give up as yeah. everybody else does every aspect of their life. As you're saying, like sexual identity is right. something that even heterosexuals have to give up to Christ. Yeah. We have to lay it down too. It's not something I get to hold on to, And I'm asking you to give up. Um, Christ asks all of us to lay it down and pick up our cross daily. Um, mm-hmm. And there's nothing in our lives that we should not be willing to lay down because of what Jesus has done for us, because we understand the cross, we understand the resurrection and the authority that comes with that and the love that's found in all of that. And because there is no greater love, I will lay down anything. Yeah, and that and that's what he's calling us to. And that's that second gospel you heard, that the, the, the grace that comes in the gospel of Jesus and the work Jesus did for us um, is greater than anything this world could offer, be it sexual attraction, the satisfaction of those attractions, be it money, be it even being content, right? Like there's mm-hmm. even this this pursuit of just, I just want to be content. I just want to be happy with what I have, which is not a bad thing. It's a good thing, I'd argue, but, but that in and of itself is something I'm willing to lay down because I have the cross, because of the work of Jesus on the cross, so... Mm. So, yeah. Well, let me ask you this. What, what would you say? Because, again, I'm coming at this sympath. I mean, I, I can't come at this sympathetically. 
I, I'm not a same-sex attracted male. I'm married to a woman, three kids. Never once in my life have I found myself sexually attracted to another man. And I'm not bragging about that. I'm just saying I don't have, I can't bring sympathy to you. I have empathy in the, the struggle and the hurdle you've had to walk through um, in your life, in relationship to the church and to the gospel you've that was shared with you. And I'll hit pause there because I do think, I, I hope more and more of our brothers and sisters um, that are same-sex attracted, I, I hope more and more of them are hearing apologies from the church. Um, yeah. I hope they are. I know I have... I have made apologies every chance I get, but that's a personal apology. I'm sorry for what I've done um, mm. because I've done it wrong in my life. I will admit I have done it wrong. Um, I've made it about an ideal and not about people, and that's the exact opposite of what I think Jesus asked us to do. Um, yeah, again, we're, that would lead us down a rabbit hole that could go on for hours, so I'll, I'll, I'll backpedal for a second <laughs> on that one. So, um so apologies included in this, that brothers and sisters in Christ, you are loved. There is a place for you in Jesus. Um, and it starts with our surrender to him. It starts with all of our surrender to him, not just those same-sex attracted. And, and you are welcome. There is a place for you at the table of Christ. Um, and when we surrender all things to him, we find that he will, as, as he says in Matthew 6, he will give us new desires in our heart. So... <laughs> So, yeah, so as, as you've walked there, if you sat at the table of Christ, you found his embrace, his invitation, and his welcome, what does life with Jesus look, look like for you now? You walk still same-sex attracted. You've told me before, you've said before that you still have desires for a wife and a family. Um, and so, so you're not, you haven't just written that off. Um, but you also say I don't necessarily find a sexual desire there right now. So just in a day-to-day, even beyond the same-sex attraction, beyond that, day-to-day, what does walking with Jesus look like for you now? But yeah, just practically, it's just have community, like keep you accountable, like have those brothers and your sisters just encourage you just every single day. And for me, it's just trying to remind myself that love does and love doesn't just feel or it just doesn't sit there, but it just goes out into the world and actually like does actions for people. It does, it spreads and it just infects like everybody else who gets caught by it. And this is like what Jesus wanted to accomplish. He, he spread out love and the truth at the same time, grace and truth. They mix together. They, they're nuanced. And I just want to spread the spread love by encouraging people, by giving them support, by giving them what they need by service. But it's just, and some days I don't do it right. Like most of these days I'm pretty awful at it. Like I have trouble loving. And that's something that I can take to Jesus every single day of saying like, Hey God, I messed up like today. And I know you might be like sick and tired of my apologies, but you're not. But it's like, mm-hmm. it's like this daily repentance that we have to take. But I just feel like I have to accept the grace that Jesus is trying to give me every single day. And just if I mess up, 
God is going to pick me up and say, that was cool, but we can do, we can do it again. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome, man. Thank you so much for sharing. I'm really grateful for your time and for your transparency in this. I know you and I have talked about this a couple of times in private. Um, so to share it in this medium uh, and in this audience, it, it means a lot to me that you're willing to do it. Um, just so someone out there can hear, Hey, if there's anything in your life that you feel that because of this, I don't deserve the love of God, that that is a lie that you've been told. Um, mm-hmm. There's nothing we can do to make God love us less. Uh, and he, the, the invitation to grace is consistent. Uh, it is never ending, and it is, uh, um, it is never impeded by man. And so... Uh, the invitation's there, and I think that's what you've said, and I'm I'm grateful that you're willing to say that. So, all right, off off track. Here's another question. We're we're recording this in quarantine. We're on day, I don't know what day we're on. I've quit counting. It feels like year 17 of quarantine, <laughs> but I don't know what day it is. I don't even know. It's Saturday night somewhere. I don't know, man. Uh, but it's been a while. <laughs> in a world that really there's a lot of tension, a lot of frustration. But right now, what are you celebrating? What is something Zach is celebrating in the midst of gorging? Just what are you celebrating in life right now? I'm celebrating stillness right now because I've never oh, wow. had this much stillness in my life of where school is just cut off. Well, not cut off. I have online classes and I still maintain my responsibilities. Nope, we caught you. We got like you. <laughs> time on my hands. You know what I mean? I'm at home. Uh, <laughs> there's not much else to do. Uh, but having this stillness right now is something that I may not have later on. Yeah. But, and I get to appreciate that with God. I get to be, be in my room with God. I get to talk with him more personally. I get to talk, well, not more personally, but like more in general. Mm-hmm. And just like, we get to touch on different things that we need to talk about just for like the semester, rather with our regards to like sin or like grace or just with, everything in between and it was like we were learning together and we're just trying to appreciate the time that we have right now and appreciate the time that I get to be in the present rather than just like the hustle and bustle of school and just work every single day yeah get off the treadmill we we were life was a treadmill and someone stopped that treadmill (laughs) yeah and we are standing (laughs) on the side and just kind of waiting for it to start again but you're saying I've enjoyed it not running for a minute. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Really it's good. giving me time for rest. And I've been praying to God for rest for a while, but right. I didn't, I never pictured it like this, but <laughs> <laughs> we're here now. So nice. this is what God has given me. I mean, well, thanks for jumping on tonight. I love you. I'm proud of you. I'm grateful for you. And uh, much love for you, brother. Thank you for having me. Yeah, man. We'll talk soon. Hey everyone, thanks for checking out the BSM Stories podcast this week. The Longhorn BSM serves to connect students to the love of Christ and help them grow as disciple makers. If you have more questions about the Longhorn BSM, check out our website, longhornbsm.com, or find us on Facebook and Instagram at longhornbsm. This week, your hosts were Cody Schaus and Marcy Martinez, and this episode was produced and edited by Turner Barnes. Thanks guys, much love. Thank you.